Well, good morning. My name is Beck. It is so lovely to see your faces this morning and to all of you watching on at home as well. Good morning. Today and in the coming weeks, as we've heard about this morning, we're talking about Christmas light. Now, we have never really been into light in lights at our place, but this year, for some reason, we went and got Christmas lights throughout the front of the house. And Matt's made the star with the kids this week, and that's out the front, and that's got lights wrapped around it. And we went and got the Christmas tree, and we've done the Prescott Cousins nativity scene. We're getting in gear. We need one of those stars. Where is Lindy? We need one of those stars. And I did find um, two of Santa's helpers this week in my house. And I think at least every day this week, either Joan or Arietta have grabbed my wrist and said, hey Siri, how much days till Christmas? It's 20 days until then. 20 days until then. Christmas is coming, the anticipation is good. But I do have to apologise today because as much as I would just love to talk about the Christmas light, in order to talk about light, we have to talk about darkness. And I wonder if you've noticed that in the past two years, people have been putting up their Christmas trees a bit earlier. I think collectively we're desperate at the moment for something that we can look forward to for certain something that will bring us hope and something that we can anticipate with joy. And for whatever reason, for many people, Christmas seems to be that hope. It's like the light at the end of a season of darkness. But I wonder for how many the joy of Christmas will be short-lived. For how many will Christmas simply be a festival to help us forget reality for a day or two? Today we're asking the question, God, are you really for us? I wonder if you've ever asked that of God. It's a question that tends to be asked in the hard places, in the dark places. And we've heard this morning of two people, Zachariah and Mary, who lived in a really dark time in Israel's history. The people of Israel, who are God's chosen people, They are living under Roman rule, and it's oppressive. And their king, Herod, at the time, he is cruel, and he is a hated king. It's actually been 400 years since any person in the nation of Israel has had direct communication with God. Life has been hard for the people of Israel. It's been an extended season of darkness, and in this season, God has been seemingly silent. With darkness comes many different associations. We associate fear. We associate sadness, lack of direction, lack of hope. And it it hasn't been 400 years for us, but it's been two pretty long ones. And um, for some of us, they've been pretty dark ones. Each of us will have had a different experience, but I wonder how many of us actually associate fear, sadness, a lack of direction, a lack of hope with our lived experience in the last little while. 
In the coming weeks together, we can joyfully anticipate and celebrate together Christmas. And I can assure you that Jesus did not come down to earth to provide people with a short-lived but joyful day of celebration each year. Followers of Jesus say that Jesus is the light of the world, the light in dark places. And I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'd be lying if I said that in the past two years I have not doubted, wrestled and wondered what sort of hope Jesus has for me. So if you've ever wondered, what does it really all mean? Why don't you join me this morning as we look at Luke and take some time to ponder it. As you heard in our reading this morning there, we began with a man named Zachariah, whose early years were probably filled with hope and joy, hope of a good life, hope of marrying a good wife, hope of having many children. And Zachariah found a good wife. It was actually, uh, as a priest, it was a great blessing to marry a wife of priestly stock and that's what he did when he married Elizabeth and they were good people they observed all of the commandments and uh, the, the requirements of the law and I'm sure that their lives were once filled with hope and promise but they're not young anymore and Elizabeth is barren and barrenness was about the worst thing that could happen to a married woman Its consequences not only resulted in your own grief, but it actually gave um, reason for you to be shunned, um, for you to be despised and looked down upon. And so we can only assume that Zachariah and Elizabeth, they've actually lived a really long and hard life together, shouldering the impact of Elizabeth's barrenness together, grieving together, and as they got older, losing hope together. But while Zachariah did lose hope of ever having a child, he had not lost hope that God would deliver Israel from her enemies, from the hated king and and from the Roman oppression. During the 400 years where God was seemingly silent, the people of Israel, they had clung to prophecies that had been given to them about a coming king. In Isaiah, it talks about a child being born, a son that would Um, be like this great leader for the people of Israel. And they hoped that this coming boy king would be a leader who'd be a cross between Moses the lawgiver, David the warrior king, and Elijah the prophet. Not asking much. That's what they were hoping for. And although they'd been waiting for centuries, they hadn't lost hope. They had, however, settled into a rhythm and a routine. It's how we cope sometimes, isn't it? Everyday priests would perform rituals in the temple and while these rituals were taking place, people would wait outside and they'd pray and they'd pray for the deliverance of Israel from its enemies. Now, Zachariah is a priest, but he's not the only priest. In fact, there were so many priests in Israel at the time that they actually had to divide them into 24 different divisions. And even still, in each of those divisions, there was just too many priests and not enough jobs for them all to do. So they had to cast lots to see who would get to perform each function in the temple. And in verse 9, it tells us that on this particular day, Zacharias won the lottery. They've cast lots, it's fallen to him, and he actually, according to the priestly custom, gets to go into the Lord's sanctuary and to offer 
incense. Now, this is an experience that only happened once in a lifetime. It would have been the most important moment in Zachariah's life thus far. And he would have been thrilled to the core of his being. And something amazing happens while he's in there performing this duty. It says an angel appears to him while he's in there and he was troubled and terror struck. Now, it's not uncommon in the Bible when people have encounters with angels for them to be troubled or scared. Uh, But it does strike me as a little bit ironic because if Zachariah was ever going to have an encounter with God, this would be where. It's in the Holy of Holies. It's in the, the central place in the sanctuary. He's at the peak of his career as a priest and he is absolutely, completely overwhelmed and surprised to encounter God. He just wasn't expecting God to turn up. He was going through the motions. I think he got caught in the rhythm and the routine and he wasn't expecting God to turn up. And the angel's news was very surprising for Zachariah. When he says, don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. This will bring you joy and celebration and many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be a great man in God's sight. He won't drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. He'll go before him in spirit and the power of Elijah and he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children He will get ready for the Lord, a prepared people. This is big news. God has heard your prayers. He's heard the prayers that you've prayed for your nation. But not only that, he's heard the prayers that you used to pray. The prayers you prayed for that child that you so longed for. God has not forgotten you, and he has not forgotten Israel. In one swift move, God has activated his plan of redeeming Israel. He's sending the messenger who's going to prepare the way for the coming king. And while the large story of God's promises and purposes are about to be fulfilled, God is simultaneously showing his deep care and love for the lost hopes of two ordinary people because God cares about the ordinary everyday things too. For a minute I want you to put yourself in Zachariah's shoes and I want you to imagine how you would respond to the angel. Joy, exclamation, praise, confusion, questions. Unfortunately Zachariah responds to the angel with blatant disbelief. How can I be sure of this? In some translations, it actually says, how do you expect me to believe this? I can scoff at Zachariah, but I can't imagine that my response would have been any better. Zachariah would have known of God's power, and he would have known that God was capable of births by divine intervention. There's a few examples of that in the scriptures, and Zachariah knew his scriptures, but he refuses to believe the angel. It's as if he's come to this point of believing that God works in other people's lives, 
but not in his own. And so he questions the angel and he asks for a sign to be given to him so that he then may be able to believe, which doesn't go down terribly well with the angel. And the angel says, look here, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. So as if he's saying, do you not know that I'm sent here by God? That God has actually humbled himself by sending a messenger down to earth and you're rejecting him? I wonder if perhaps when Zachariah lost hope of having his own child, he, he also lost sight of the scope of God's goodness, of God's power and his glory. He got lost just going through the motions And because it wasn't humanly possible, Zachariah also began to believe that it was impossible for God to change anything in his life. I wonder if you expect that God will be active in your life. I wonder if like Zechariah and like me at times, your circumstances combined with God's seeming silence have caused you to lose sight of his goodness and his power? Have you stopped expecting for him to work because you just can't see what difference he'd make anyway? Zachariah's disbelief, unfortunately, had its consequences. He got the sign he asked for, but he wasn't able to speak until the day when it all happens. But... The angel does say it will all come true in the proper time. Zachariah is emphatically assured by the angel that this is going to come true, but he loses his ability to speak. And this is not just a short time. This is until the baby is born. Can you imagine the frustration? And so after this encounter, Zachariah leaves the temple And the people have been outside. They've been waiting for him for ages. Usually people went in and out pretty quick. You know, it's not not the safest place to be in the holies of holies. Zachariah was in there a long time. And they were wondering what has happened. They're expecting that he's going to come out. He's going to pronounce a blessing over the people. But instead, he comes out, and I'm not even going to try, but just imagine what sort of hand gestures it says he made gestures he plays this ridiculous game of charades to try and explain what's happened to him in there he had been given the opportunity of sharing the most exciting message that the Israelite people have heard for 400 years he had the opportunity to come out and to proclaim to the people that the time has come the waiting is over The promised king is on the way and my son, he's going to prepare the way for him. Yet, instead, because of his disbelief, Zachariah has to play this embarrassing game of charades in an attempt to share the good news. Unfortunately, that's what he has to do with his wife as well. He didn't expect that God would be at work and his disbelief robbed him of great joy. Yet maybe God knew 
that actually some time of silence was just what Zechariah needed. Maybe he needed some time to reorient his world, to come to terms with what was happening, but also to recapture the goodness and the glory of God. Because Zechariah encountered a God who remembered his prayer, even when he was no longer expecting an answer. And in order to embrace the good news and all of the consequent radical changes, I think Zechariah needed some time. Some time to open his eyes to the greatness of his God so he could share the good news. And if you do read on in Luke, you will find that Zechariah does fully embrace this news and he is full of praise. Now let's take a look at Mary's response to the angel. Like Zachariah, Mary too is in this same circumstance under, under Roman oppression and the hated king. You might expect maybe she's living in Rome or at least Jerusalem, but she's in Nazareth, which is a very small Galilean town that's not held in very high esteem by some. And you might expect that God would choose a princess to be the mother of the coming boy king, but no. Mary is a virgin, pledged to be married to the village carpenter. And so when the angel greets her and says, greetings, favoured one, it says Mary was disturbed at this. She's shocked and disturbed. I don't think it's so much because there's an angel there. She's actually thinking, what have I done to be greeted in such lofty terms? If that wasn't shocking enough, the message that then came was. It says here in verse 30 to 33, Don't be afraid, Mary. You are in favour with God. You'll conceive in your womb and you'll have a son and you'll call his name Jesus. He'll be a great man and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David his father and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never come to an end. So not only is Mary going to have a son before she gets married, and not only will this son be great, but he's actually going to be the son of the Most High, the Son of God, a son to whom God will give the throne of his father, David, whose rule will last forever and whose kingdom will never come to an end. I'm going to come back to that kingdom part, so don't forget it. Let's see first how Mary takes the news. She says, how will this happen? Unlike Zachariah, this is not disbelief. Rather, it's confusion. Okay, but how? That's what she's saying. And so the angel goes on and gives an explanation of how this is going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that will be the reason the Holy One who is born from you will be called God's Son. Let me tell you this too. Your cousin Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month for her, a woman who people used to say was barren. With God, you see, all things. With nothing is impossible. After this short explanation, I'm sure Mary still has many questions. (laughs) But instead of expressing all her questions and all her fears, as I would have, 
She responds by saying, here I am. I'm the Lord's servant girl. Let it happen to me as you've said. This is not a simple matter. Mary has been asked to bear a child as a virgin without being married. And yet she is cooperating with God's plan, despite the obvious trouble that this is going to cause her family, her village, of course her fiancé. In standing up for God and his power, she will undoubtedly become the object of much doubt and ridicule. And so I ask myself, why? Why does Mary cooperate and so willingly accept this plan? Why does she so humbly and so simply agree to something that's really going to drastically change the course of her life? Mary was young. She was inexperienced, unaccomplished, unmarried, poor and unknown. But she loved God. Mary knew the story of her people. And so she knew that this was actually the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. His promise to rescue his people and through them to rescue the whole world. She knew that in this plan, through the child that was growing within her, God was bringing his plan, which had been a thousand years in the making, to its climax through her. And so with that big picture in mind, Mary is able to see beyond the difficulties that she will undoubtedly face. And if you read on, you will see that with the big picture in mind, Mary is not overcome with fear, but she is overcome with praise. She doesn't understand it all, but she loves God and she trusts him and she is thrilled to be part of his story and so she rejoices. But this is only the beginning of the story really because Zachariah and Elizabeth, they did have a baby. He was later known as John the Baptist and he did prepare the way for the coming king. And Mary did have a baby. He was called Jesus and he grew up. And you know that kingdom I told you about to not forget, the kingdom that would never end? Well, Jesus, he started to put that kingdom into operation close up wherever he went. And if you read the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you will see that wherever he went, Jesus shows us what it looks like when God is running things and the world gets turned the right way up. Mary and Zechariah and the people of Israel, they had been longing for a different kind of world, a different kind of empire, a different kind of economic system, a new way of doing global politics, a new leadership. Maybe you're looking for that too. Well, Jesus was the leader who established a new kind of world and a different kind of empire, but it wasn't what people expected because Jesus' ways of establishing God's justice and peace on the earth were different to Caesar's. 
different to the usual power games and money games, different in source and method. Because the Jesus way, as we discover at Christmas, is the baby in the manger way. It is filled with humility and grace. It's the way of putting the vulnerable and the poor first and working from there. But how does it really work? Because Jesus was like a breath of fresh air back then, bringing light into dark places, turning the world's systems on its head. What about now? What good is all of this to us now? Does the Jesus way still work? And is this kingdom, the kingdom that would never end, well, is it really still going? Well, that's where you come in. Because Jesus invites each of us to be his kingdom bringers, to know and to be the light in dark places. You see, the Jesus way works as Jesus, the King of kings. He works to heal and restore and renew people, you and me, calling them just as he called his first followers to the dangerous and difficult but wonderful task of being his agents, just as Zachariah and Mary were, growing his kingdom and making it happen in the real world. But maybe you feel like Zachariah. Maybe God's been silent for too long and you've lost hope for his work in your life. Maybe you're doubting whether he really does care for you. Now, I can't make any promises that God is going to answer your prayers like he did for Zachariah. But I want you to know that our God is a God who hears, even when he seems silent. He's a God who cares, and he is for you. He's a God who works through people, including you. And our God is a God who loves. Maybe you'd like to pray with someone today, to talk with God, to share your struggle, and to invite God into that space because God does hear even when he's seemingly silent sometimes he just isn't finished yet we have plenty of people who'd love to pray hey the person next to you would probably love to pray with you Um, if you'd like though you can write it on a white card and put it in a burgundy letterbox and there'll be people praying I've had to remind myself as we've come out of lockdown that this is a new opportunity to create a new rhythm and a new routine and I'm working out where God fits in that. Maybe you're stuck and you want to take some time to rediscover God's goodness like Zachariah needed to. If you're not sure where to start, there are some Advent devotion um, readings that have been put up on the website. Um, You can take a look at them there. They're a good place to start. Maybe you've got questions about who God is and what the kingdom has to do with you. Ask someone before you leave today. Ask someone if you're at home. Get in contact with us. Maybe you want to be part of this kingdom that I've been talking about, but you feel a little bit like Mary did, like you've got little to offer God. Can I encourage you that all God asks of you is to love him? How valuable it is to simply worship him and to see what happens from there. I'm going to invite you guys because we're going to do that together soon. You might want to put a star in your front yard as a signpost of the hope that you have because of Christmas.
These past two years, I have genuinely wrestled with where my hope comes from. I have despaired in the difficulty. And I have wondered, where is God in it all? Often I have been too exhausted and too numb to delve deep into God's word. And yet I have clung desperately to his promises. Songs of worship have become my anthems. It's been uncomfortable and it's been hard. And so much of the time, sorry, (laughs) the only hope that I have clung to is not that things are going to get better, but that God's actually bigger than it all. Because he is. In their season of darkness, Mary and Zachariah, they clung to God's promises, to the scriptures that spoke of hope. Perhaps like them, you also need to cling to God's promises. The knowledge that even in the dark places, God loves you, he cares for you, and he is for you. When life has been good, I haven't valued the posture of worship enough. But I have learned something as I have sat desperately at the feet of Jesus that there is value in this position. And I am not failing as I sit here with more questions than answers. Because the way of Jesus, it happens in the to and fro between worship and action. Between what happens here at the feet of Jesus and what happens down the street. Because the Jesus kingdom gets to work when we stop and we pause and we look in wonder once more at the baby lying in the manger. And like Mary, we ponder in our hearts, what does it all mean? The kingdom that Jesus came to bring is not just for the good times. It needs to be worked out in the real and the tough challenges of life. And so if it is Jesus' kingdom that we're working out, well, we cannot get enough of Jesus himself. We cannot worship him enough. We cannot ponder him enough. We cannot love and adore him enough. And as we adore him, that adoration may open our eyes to fresh ways of doing things, putting into our minds and our hearts a new vision of how things could be. It's up to us. We who choose to worship Jesus, to be bringing this new kingdom into our work, our neighbourhoods, our schools, our families, our communities, our church, because God is for us and he wants us to know and he wants us to be the light in dark places, to spread peace and justice, forgiveness and love wherever we go. Zachariah, Mary and the people of Israel, they had a hunger for hope. The hope of the coming boy king.
Well, the boy king's come. The new kingdom's been set in motion. And we are invited to bring this new kingdom into being. And when we sit at his feet and we worship Jesus, the king of kings, our lives are transformed with the coming of his hope and his peace and his joy at work in our lives and then in the lives of those around us. And I think we could all do with a little more hope, more peace, more love, more joy this Christmas.